Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful who have gathered here out of love for you. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Several years ago, back when we worshipped in the office suite on Preston Road in North Dallas, we ran across a delightful video on YouTube. It seems that Southland Christian Church made a video, video in which they asked some children to tell the Christmas story. Well, you know how that kind of thing goes. The twist was that the children spoke and the adults acted out the story and mouthed the words as the children spoke. True to form, the Christmas story that they told included the visitation of the Magi. As the children told it, the Magi did indeed bring the baby Jesus gifts. Watch. They gave them gifts. A stuffed animal, like a hippo one, to have at home. Some diapers, and some wipes, and some milk, some shoes, some Jordans. Gold, Frank, and Latimer. A stuffed purple hippo, diapers and wipes, milk, some shoes, some Jordans, and only then gold, Frankenstein, and myrrh. <laughs> the question for us on this first day of the year of our Lord in the year 2023 is what gifts can we bring? A close look at today's gospel reading might well give us clues as to answers for our question. As Protestants, we always celebrate Epiphany on a Sunday. But in the Catholic Church and other Orthodox traditions that have midweek services, um, they tend to have a full service on the actual date of Epiphany, which is January 6th. And that begins the season of Epiphany, the day after the 12 days of Christmas. In our Orthodox siblings tradition, the first day of the year in the Julian calendar also held another feast. And so, you know, we're in this odd place this year with, uh, we're doing Epiphany on this first Sunday of, of the year, but also, you know, it, Epiphany is still to come. But on the first day in our Orthodox traditions, there is a feast day called the Feast of the Holy Name. And the scripture that's read is, is the scripture that tells us about the, a little bit about the end of the visitation of the Magi and how they returned by another road. And then it goes into telling about the eighth day of Jesus' life when he was taken to the temple for circumcision. And that is where he was officially named. And he was given the name Jesus. And that was the name that the angel had told Matthew, I mean Joseph, to to name him. So it's a, it's a special day to, to claim this name, right? And his name, Jesus, Yeshua, means God saves, or God is our salvation. Now, there's another reading assigned for this day. Uh, typically, in the calendar year, there, there can be a Sunday between Christmas and the New Year and Epiphany, okay? So we might have a, a couple of Sundays there, but there is always, there's often one. 
And on that Sunday, the Sunday after Christmas, uh, sometimes we have the reading of the first chapter of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and, and God, and God, and God, and God. And, and that, the Logos, meaning Jesus, was with God in the very beginning, okay? But there's also another text that's often read, and it's uh, a horrible text, actually. And I rarely, I don't know that I've ever preached on it because of its violence. And it's the, the point where Herod realized he's been duped by the Magi. They've gone back by another road, and he doesn't know where the child is that is going to be the king of the Jews. And so he uh, issues an edict uh, and sends out his soldiers to kill all the children of the land who are two years and younger. And a cry goes up, the scriptures tell us. Fortunately, that's, that text is only found in the Gospel of Matthew. You know, the importance of that reading is that it reminds us that even in the mystical and majestic visit of the strangers to the child, the specter of personalities and politics and power are still at play and will be at play throughout his entire life, even unto his death. And so that's part of why that scripture finds its way into our readings. Epiphany is the festival of the revelation of Jesus, and the scripture readings throughout this season will help us better understand Jesus' identity. That's what it's designed to do. Or importantly, that in this season, we have a mystical inbreaking of God. We have it today in the visitation of the Magi. We will have it later as various things happen in Jesus' life and in his teachings. And so we have this mysticism happening in this season that's all involved with light. Now, it begins with this story of the, the star that arises and that the Magi see and recognize that something important, that a, an important person is being born. And uh, these are the first people outside of the family, Mary and Joseph, out, the first people outside of the people, the chosen people of Israel, to recognize that this figure is an important child. Now, many biblical scholars believe that the visitors were Persians, and that they lived in what is now modern-day Iran. And they are, are now also, they believe, uh, to have been practitioners of an ancient religion called Zoroastrianism. And it was an ancient religion uh, it was an ancient and benevolent monotheistic faith tradition that studied the stars and, and celebrated the light. They were proponents of the faith fo that followed the, a path of good, good thoughts, good words, good deeds. They had a commitment to practicing charity and a special equality and duty between women and men alike. And they believed in being good for the sake of goodness and without the hope of reward. 
And I can't help but wonder if, if at the time these stories started circulating, if people had really taken seriously who these people were, that we might not be in the big mess we're in right now in the Middle East. That if they had taken seriously what they were bringing, not just the gifts that they carried, but the gifts of themselves, we might have had a better relationship. Of course, there are some things we need to pay attention to in the actual uh, specific reading of today's scripture. In Matthew's account of Jesus' birth, there is no stable. Oh, and by the way, there are no camels either. Um, in Matthew's telling the story, story, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and scholars think that that was probably in the home of Joseph or in one of Mary's relatives' homes. And we think that the Magi visit sometime after his birth as much as two years later. And that's taken from the Herod Edict, that they kill children, male children, two years and younger. Now, according to Matthew, the Magi arrive in Jerusalem, the largest neighboring town to Bethlehem. Now, why would they go there? Don't you wonder about that? I mean, Herod was known as a tyrannical king. He was there at the behest of Rome, and he was uh, vicious to his own family and to the people he was supposedly serving. So why would they go there? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose this to you. And I, and I don't know if any biblical scholars talk about this. Surely somebody does. I know I didn't make it up myself. But, but okay, it's in the story it says this, they see the star at its rising. And I think it's very likely that the, and they noted the location, and then it's very likely to me that the star faded. Because they get to Bethlehem, and they know they need, or they get to Jerusalem, they know they need to go somewhere in this area, and they need to know where, and so they call on the sages of Herod's uh, realm uh, in his uh, reign, in his kingdom, and, and the sages come and tell them that Bethlehem, that the scriptures say that Bethlehem is the place, right? And then the scripture says, I gotta get back to my notes so I say it right. <laughs> After they get the information about it being in Bethlehem, they leave, and the scripture says, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. So I think it's very reasonable to think that they they made it to Jerusalem and needed some help and asked for help. And, and then the star arises and they take the course. And here I want to stop and point out, the passage says that upon hearing from the Magi about the newly born king of the Jews, that Herod was afraid and all of Jerusalem with him. Now Herod had a reason to be afraid, right? He hears that somebody's been born and he's gonna be the king of the Jews, but Herod's the king of the Jews. And so he's getting the sense that he's going to be supplanted. And kings in that period, they were often very jealous of their, their role. And so they were, they were going to take out whoever was going to try to supplant them, right? And so Herod has a reason to be afraid. So why were the people of Jerusalem afraid? Well, you know, 
he, Herod was a tyrannical client king for Rome and was controlled by the Roman Emperor Augustus. And for the people of Jerusalem, he was a known entity, right? When you know your enemies, you're better equipped to deal with them, right? And so Herod's the known entity here. And, and as you know, most people don't like change. In fact, one of my pastors at another church used to say, the only person that really likes change is a baby with a dirty diaper. Uh, and so we don't, as people, generally like change. And so, you know, they, they probably didn't want this change because they're already in a fragile relationship with Rome. And, and the people were already greatly oppressed. And the country was occupied. And they certainly didn't need another influx of Roman soldiers and consequent oppression because a new king would be crowned. I mean, did you think the Gospels weren't political? Think again. The Magi over history have been assigned many roles. They've been thought to be kings. They've been thought to be sorcerers. They've been thought to be astronomers. But we, know, we don't know, really. I do think they may have been priests of Zoroastrianism. But we don't know. But what we do know is they, they had some wealth because they made a long trip, and they also brought significant gifts. But it's also important to note that the writer of Matthew does not name the gender of the people that have come, nor states how many magi there were. I mean, we get the number three because they're three gifts. But we ha I have to believe that there was a whole host of people that were traveling together. And because of the Zoroastrianism, understanding of men and women having equal roles, there may have been women among that party. Well, that's all speculation. I do think there are some lessons we can learn from these magi. First, they arrive at the home of Jesus, where Jesus and Mary are, and they do, they do not question Jesus' needs for their gifts. I mean, even though scholars point out that Mary and Joseph were poor working-class peasants and might not have had the resources to flee to Egypt uh, and away from Herod's edict, uh, had the Magi not given them these gifts, uh, you know, I think that's something for us to consider. The, but they, they don't ask if their gifts are appropriate. They, they come in and give their gifts and kneel and give honor to the child. They don't comment on the, his humble home or ask to see a birth certificate or green card. I mean, they don't ask for any kind of verification. They just know that this is the child whose star they saw at his rising. So they kneel before Jesus and offer him their gifts of gold, which was considered for the Christ child's kingly status, frankincense or Frankenstein, for, for his divine nature, and myrrh for his human nature and for the anointing at his sacrificial death. These gifts show that the Magi, these foreigners, these Gentiles, understand exactly who Jesus is and who he will grow to be. A few other considerations. The Magi didn't go alone. They went together. 
They chose to travel together for support, for safety, and for companionship. They asked for help when they didn't know where the child had been born. They stopped and asked for help. They could have picked somebody better, but they stopped and asked for help. They trusted their instincts that they kneel before the child and give their gifts without attachment. And this is very important because in that period, gifts were used to get favor, right? And so gifts often meant that there was a condition attached. And for poor people and for the oppressed, it was not a good deal. And and that the, they could have suspected that these visitors with these elaborate gifts were going to exact something upon them. But that's not what happened. The gifts were freely given and received in response to love and not in anticipation of, of some kind of reciprocity. And the Magi finally were open to the inbreaking of God as evidenced by the fact that they listened to and acted on their dream. Notice their dream, their collective dream, did they all get the dream? They must have. And put their lives on the line by denying Herod's request to return and tell him where the child was. And so they went home by a different road. They could have been killed for that. Well, I believe one of the things we first need to confess is that the season of Epiphany has a potential to move us from a season of indulgence to a season that begins with a story marked by giving that honors God. So again, I ask, what gifts can we bring to God today and in this new year? Not just on this Epiphany Sunday, of course, though, but throughout the year. How do these gifts that we bring honor God? Might we bring gifts that honor the dignity and agency of all God's children? And with that thought, perhaps our modern lesson for this morning can guide us in discovering answers. Thurman suggests that our gifts can be to find the lost. Well, who's lost in your world? To heal the broken. Who's broken? Whose hearts are broken? To feed the hungry. Who is hungry and what are they hungry for? To release the prisoner. Who is being bound in your life right now? It's bound by something. To rebuild the nations. To bring peace among siblings. To make music in the heart. Now, before you get overwhelmed, I want to remind you that the beauty of the Southland Christian Church's video was that the children imagined simple practical gifts for the child and his new parents. A stuffed animal, diapers and wipes, milk. Sometimes when I make resolutions in the new year, at the beginning of the new year, I have a long list. I'm going to improve everything. I'm going to improve my physical life, my emotional life, my social life, my spiritual life, my intellectual life. I'm going to do it all. And sometimes I make resolutions beyond my capacity, like saving the world or even a corner of the world. I remind you that we don't have to save the world. We can choose to do something simple and practical and to be gentle with ourselves when we fail, which we inevitably do. And as the Benedictines say, 
always we begin again. Also want to remind you that every one of us, before we determine the gift that we will bring to God this year, have already been given a gift. Thank you for coming. He's adorable. He's gonna be our best friend. I love you and you're the best baby I ever seen. There, I said it. <laughs> the new baby is gonna change the world. You're the best baby I ever seen. There, I said it. And the new baby is going to change the world. And the change of the world will come through you and me. Amen. And that gift, Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, empowers each of us to give gifts of hope and peace, joy and love to others. And that means God's love extends out into the world through us. May it be so for us in this holy season. Amen.